Are unintended consequences of legislation truly unintended? And the curious origins of Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg. You're listening to the Propaganda Report. I'm Brad Binkley here with Monica Perez. Monica, how are you? I'm fantastic. How are you today, Brad? I'm amazing. It's weird hearing you say my first name. I know. I had to give up your first name because your last name is just too funny. Somebody, when I was going into WSB the other day, uh, I can't remember. I had to go by the security office for some reason. And the woman working, she was like, what was your name again? It's like Winkley or something like that, right? (laughs) That's cute. It's like, that's close. I told you my son said, wow, is that his real name? I said, yeah, Binkley's his real name. I said, yeah, I said, he takes it well. (laughs) I think it's the the silliest name he ever heard. It makes me wonder because like Rush has Snurdly, which also does not sound like a real name. And you've never actually heard the guy talk. So I, I guess if you're like a ditto head, which is what Rush fans call themselves, which to me sounds... Not something I would want to be, but uh, if you are one of those people and you know a lot about him, maybe you Google and maybe there is a snurdly. I don't know, but um, I think you're thing, right. Yeah. I think he's made up. But the but the thing I liked about Brad was that we had that great, um, what was it? Fast Times at Ridgemont High drop where I would like my $3.83 back, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. So look, here's here's the thing. This is what happened today, which <clears throat> triggered me. Normally you trigger me, but this triggered I got triggered just reading the newspaper. <clears throat> Excuse me. Maybe it was yesterday. I tweeted it yesterday. Uh I didn't even see they actually use the expression unintended consequences, which just is hilarious. So I didn't even see that. I started reading the newspaper. And I took a picture of the of the part of this article that appeared on the front page. And the word, I don't think the words unintended consequences were in that. And I tweeted it uh, for mainly for the heading. It says, Google and Facebook likely to benefit from Europe's privacy crackdown. Big tech companies gain while smaller online ad firms are squeezed under the European Union's GDPR, which takes effect in May. So I tweeted immediately without even seeing that that's what it said in that article. Uh, I tweeted the following. What did I tell you? These are not, quote, unintended consequences, end quote. They are well-crafted regulatory barriers to entry, benefiting big tech and making sure little guys who might not cooperate with authorities don't have a chance. A win-win for the corpo governmental continuum. Only then, unfortunately, this is a bad habit I have. Only only later did I get to finish the article uh, and saw that they actually lay the whole thing out as I have been talking for years. And it's funny because my sister, who's a like a fifth grade teacher, she threw out regulatory barriers to entry the other day. And I was like, Wow. She said, well, obviously I got it from you. I was like, okay. Because I say it all the time because people defend regulations. Like you're, you're, you can have like really well-meaning people on the left just defend the crap out of regulations, which from what I can tell started 
uh, were started, like the entire progressive movement was started by these, what they call robber barons, um, to, you know, to, to do exactly what's happening here. And this is really, truly happening. And here's, there was even a wrinkle to this whole thing that I had written down. I I was going to do a whole show on Facebook the other day, but then we started bombing Syria. I had to turn my attention to that, but. In that, in my show notes for that day, I wrote, I, I pointed out that in tort law, you, there's this idea that if you, if your industry could provide protection from something, it must. So when airbags were cost effective and clearly beneficial, the government made the auto manufacturers put them in cars. You just, you cannot have a safety feature that is completely cost effective and not use it. And then everybody has to use it or they're liable. It's just a, just the way the law works. So I knew that, or what I suspected was that they would, these guys would set up 40,000 sensors or whatever, and they would be able to stamp out radical Islam or whatever on their platforms. But anybody who couldn't, so a YouTube uh, competitor who couldn't, how would you know? Well, some radical Islamist would use it to blow something up somehow, you know, whether he really did it or somebody made it look like he did it. There would be an event and uh, and and that platform would be held liable. So so here I get this article so this was all theoretical. So when I saw the European Union, however long ago last year, start talking about how they were cracking down on the big guys, I thought, well, there are two possibilities here. They still have some vestige of answerability to the population who the population believes in the power of an altruistic government, of a beneficent, benevolent government who has to answer to them, has to do the right thing, even though they would rather sell out to the big wigs, they, they have to answer to their people. Uh, they're just, the, those people are not as easily manipulated as we are maybe or whatever. So, uh, and the alternative of course, was that they were setting it up on purpose to give these big guys a toehold or domination or oligopoly or monopoly simply by making it impossible for anybody who is smaller or less well-funded to uh, to do the same things, to get 40,000 sensors or whatever. So uh, ends up it's it's that. And they're saying, these people are saying that this was an unintended consequence. That's what the Wall Street Journal is saying. But of course, it can't be because it was 100% foreseeable. I foresaw it. I believe that is the purpose of these regulations. I think the fact that regulatory barriers to entry is an economic concept that you learn about in business school means that somebody is looking to exploit that. So what it says is um, Brussels, you know, and they set it up. Can I read you like two whole paragraphs? Yeah. All right. Am I losing you, Pinkley? No, I got you. I got a couple points to make when you. Oh, make your points and then I'll read the thing, right? George Lakoff, I've said this a number of times, strategic initiatives he defines in his book as implementing policy that is not for the intended. The the intended purpose is not what is stated. The intended purpose is what you're saying is those. Yeah, um, I would always say that's true that you and actually it gets to the point where a lot of times it, it, they, they name it the opposite, the USA Freedom Act. 
Right. Is that really is that really what having metadata collected by all big tech and have no transparency or whatever? Like, how is that freedom? How does that even how is that even relevant? USA Patriot Act. How is it even relevant to those words? Yeah, because they can they just frame it as that and people see the people see that label. That's why they use people like Lakeoff to use oh, those terms. I it, saw some say that the other day, like it was called like Stop Online Violence Act or whatever, and it was totally just censorship. And I heard someone say, like, how could you be against something called the exactly. Stop? Exactly. Like, yeah. Because right. the name is a lie. Well, I, I'm not I, sure. I love true. babies act. Whatever. You can call anything that. Nobody's gonna be Opposed Everything should be called the I Love Babies Act. <laughs> yeah. So Lakeoff encourages progressives <laughs> to do more strategic initiatives, which is exactly what you're saying, implementing policy that speaks to a, a present need but actually is intended for broad-ranging purposes that are indirect and unrecognizable to the people voting for it. And exactly. They're under, They're indirect. They're lo- It's just a long game. How complicated uh, yeah, exactly. is that to understand? It's a long con. And the guys who are doing it are not the elected officials. That's what people don't understand. It's not like, well, he's only been in office for two years or he doesn't know he's going to be in office next year. It's like those guys are nothing. Those guys are actors. They're just yeah. there for for you to not see the every one of them has 50 people working for them yeah right you know and and yes a lot of people get get brushed out but a lot of people don't and Lakeoff also to your point he frames regulations he says this over and over again in every one of his podcasts now remember regulations are protections we have to tell people that their protections are protecting the little guy against uh evil world or whatever yeah, well, the regulation thing, everybody thinks they're protections. And in in reality, you really have absolutely no idea what forget the hidden purpose, but you don't you don't know who is really studying every aspect of these regulations and then are they then you have to dig in further to the study that tells you what's going to happen. So regulations are not necessarily going to do even what you think they're supposed to do on the surface. You know, you could probably say it's not even going to do that. And then you have, because I'm just saying you assume that, yes, there's a longer term. Unintended consequences are the consequences. Right. But you would say that the stated consequence has to actually happen or people wouldn't fall for it anymore. And I'm saying but you don't even see that. And then there's the whole, but they say Trump, you know, Trump takes away 10 regulations for every regulation he puts in. But, but it, it, it it's the quantity means nothing. And if, if he takes these regulations away, I mean, I would say there's a very good chance that, that, that there will be false flags or negative consequences or whatever. I mean, maybe some of the, re- the regulations he's taking away are the few that actually work. And then you get something like he wants to, he has said he'd wanted to privatize air traffic control and uh, air traffic control. I, I am not a fan of public private partnerships. If the government is charging, is monopolizing an industry with ta- and, and forcing the taxpayer to pay for it. If they can't actually provide that service, why are we having them own it? Right. So now, well, we can't do it. So we're just handing it to somebody else. Like, no, competition is the best way to do that. Education or whatever. If you can't handle it, then just let us do it ourselves. And if people are really poor and they need to go on welfare and part of what they spend their welfare on is a, is a school, whatever. 
So you'd have more money for welfare. But uh, so I, I don't really believe in that concept. I think it's a scam. Gun and control a, is an example of what you were talking about a second ago. What do you mean? This legislation that they've been pushing with March for Our Lives, the demands they're making are for legislation that was studied during the Obama oh, yeah. era that found no evidence that any yeah. of the legislation would actually stop the problem they're trying to solve. This is why they use the word common sense. It's because they don't want people to, to demand yeah, evidence. They, say, you don't evidence. they don't say critical, critically acclaimed. You know what I mean? They don't say it's critical analysis. Yeah. You know, well vetted. They don't yeah, say the, well vetted gun laws. The they only say, thing that's certain about those laws is that it would have broad ranging un, unintended consequences. And, and what is common sense really, but an emotional, you know, instinctive reaction. Yeah. That's what they're appealing to. And they'll tell you like it, they, they will peel the onion. If you say, I don't want to, I don't think this will work. They will say people like Lakoff will say it's doesn't matter if it works. Yeah. What matters is that everyone's on the same page and we agree something needs to be done about this problem. If our solution doesn't work, we'll put a different solution in, which is probably what's going on with Obamacare. Let it fail and then put something else in. But at least we'll all agree there's a problem. And hey, maybe it'll even make the problem look worse, which will be better for us. I mean, it's really twisted how they go about it. Yeah, we all agree at least that the government is good and should be solving the problem is Lakoff's premise. Yes. And once we put it in the government's hands, they, they're going to have to regardless. So but like the air traffic control thing, I feel like uh, we have had no. So this Southwest Airlines thing, I'm not I'm not buying that, that the story of the engine killing that woman. I don't know if, if she killed if the woman was killed, if the engine. I really don't know. But the story we're being told with Marty Martinez and all these people in a depressurized cabin who did not have their oxygen masks, masks on correct. It's just, and, and the only guy who's talking is Marty Martinez. Every single news outlet has, it was 90% of the quotes and all that were this guy, Marty, the single passenger. The um, the victim had a very strong government presence. The pilot was a woman. 6% of the pilots are women. Very unlikely. And she, like, there's a book um, about her, about her and other women like her. Like she's very high profile. The whole thing seemed uh, kind of contrived. So I'm not buying that as a death on a U.S. commercial jet, you know, a spontaneous, like a failure. So taking that aside, the last one was eight or nine years ago. And that one, that crash, uh, there was a woman who was the spouse of someone who died in 9-11 and she was an activist and at the time, it was considered a highly suspicious crash. It was like on her birthday or something. So I don't even know if I count that. So I, I would say that we, let's say it's like basically 10 years. It's uh, 40,000 flights a day, I think. You know, it's like 150 million flights where nobody's died. Like to me, that that is a system that works. And if you think the government needs to pay for airports, you know, take our money and subsidize this whole program. And they actually are capable of doing one damn thing right and not killing us. You know, why take that away? Like, why mess with that? Why have Donald Trump try to, like, refigure this out? And and I and as they do it, you know, then when I look at that, I can't help but think that the purpose is uh, is cronyism. There's just too much potential 
for money to be to be pushed down at that level. So I think the regulations have unintended policy consequences, uh, but there's also the whole privatization thing, which is used as a kind of alternative to regulation. If they're still mandating, confiscating money to mandate um, that the government is the only provider of a certain service, I think that is also kind of a, a bait and switch. But this, the regulatory thing, so I'll, I'll read the, uh, the article, but you can finish with your points. I'm sure you have more points. The only other point that I had re- uh, related to that was that they're also recreating these barriers to entry for news reporting. You know, it, the, it, it disseminated the ability to do it because the internet made that barrier to entry less because people could start websites and blogs and whatever and have all these alternative websites by implementing these policies and having these fake news initiatives are trying to raise up that barrier barrier of entry again so that only the CNNs, the Foxes, and the MSNBCs of the world, the New York Times, and only they are the ones that people trust. People Absolutely. Should trust and I was um, – Barriers I, to trust kind of. Yes. No, but they but, – but I – Originally, my original point with all this was that it was the news that would be liable for the impact of the content, liable. So that oh, yes, is, that's, yeah, right. That with the lawsuits coming down. Yeah. So I mean, the 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 I I got many more takedown notices from that um, Posner guy for to take down stuff that was on the BBC. I mean, I don't understand. Like, I just reproduced a like a, a, a snapshot of a BBC. Oh, you know, I saw it. it was also on Alex Jones and he's suing Alex Jones. So Alex Jones set me up. Um, <clears throat> I was surprised that Alex Jones had that on there because it was so blatant, but you know, I think that and other things like that are, were a, uh, <clears throat> like when you drink, like radioactive stuff and then get an x-ray and it can see where it went and see where your tumors are and everything. Like, I really think that those like really shocking stories, like showing Noah Posner as a victim of Sandy Hook and that exact same picture for one of the kids who was killed in a school massacre in Pakistan, like that kind of thing, the way that travels the globe is like a radioactive iodine or whatever they call it. A radioactive isotope. I don't know, but um, <clears throat> what do you mean, like bait? Like, like they're testing. So, are you aware that that there's some kind of test where you drink something? Even it's actually, I think they can even do it for cancer, where you just drink glucose, and they can trace it, and they can see where the tumors are because it absorbs the most glucose. Mm. And then they look, and they can see the path in your body. And we've seen you and I have talked about this before in other contexts. Like they, uh, you, I remember seeing like a diagram where it said like this is how this piece of information spread. Remember, it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, and it just it showed like how they put a piece of false information out there, and they showed what how it's how it got transmitted through. Do you remember that vaguely? I do. Yeah. So I'm saying they said that's what they were looking for in that case, and I'm sure they whitewashed that for our consumption. But this thing, 
about like the Noah Posner picture. They put it up there to see how it spread, who liked it, and then how people reacted, if there was any power in it. It was like the Robbie Parker, another Sandy Hook victim's father, crying after laughing, you know, clearly making himself cry for a press conference. But why would they ever let that stuff stay on the internet? I mean, like the hundred flowers campaign. They're trying to track. Maybe, you know, maybe they, yeah. Like the Hungarian revolution, they did the same thing in Iraq. They tried to see the people who would resist, but I think it's more. The hundred flowers campaign, by the way, if you haven't heard of it is something that Mao did in China where for a hundred days, the government welcomed critics to come forward and to present ideas and to point out criticisms of uh, what they were doing, what China was doing at the time. And then after a hundred days, all those people were rounded up. Yeah, that's what people say about the Hungarian Revolution. We said on Radio Free Europe, who might at the time have been run by Tucker Carlson's father. I don't know. Probably too old for that guy, but too long ago for that. But um they told people, I believe this was the story. They told, they broadcast that if the, if the Hungarians would rise up against the communist invasion, we would come help them. And they rose up and we did not help them. So they all got massacred. And then Wesley Clark said the same thing about Iraq that we told them to rise up. And then we stood by the sidelines and watched Hussein slaughter them all. So then what you end up having, which is for sure with Mao and for sure in Iraq, I don't know about Hungary, uh, they wiped out. It actually changes the culture. You know, Mao's cultural revolution involved killing all the people who had the will to resist. Like it genetically altered. And and like in Iraq, they, they really took out all the people who would fight, all the people who could. So yeah. that's kind of serious. But um I don't know. I don't know about that, but I do. But uh, but I feel like, OK, so now they don't need that anymore, you know, so they're not. I think that they just don't need that anymore. So they're pulling back. And. I mean, it's just happening all at once ever since Parkland, they're just buttoning it all up. They're they're taking YouTube channels down. They're really going nuts. And they and what they did, though, they actually destroyed on purpose originally, in my opinion, uh, the print media habit, you know what I mean? Like hardly anybody gets a newspaper anymore. And finally I get the wall street journal, but they just made it like so flimsy. It's unbelievable. My husband's like, why are we paying for this? You know, they're charging online for, for online subscriptions. Now, a lot of them. Well, that, you know, that goes against kind of what I'm saying in that I'm saying they're making print stuff like, well, I guess they can start doing that once they break you of the habit of print. Yeah. You have to go online. And once they aggregate all the online stuff to these few monopolists that they have chosen, then uh, then they censor it and make the make online providers liable. And and actually, there was an act <clears throat> a few years back that that relieved online providers of liability. So so they got everybody to be like, oh, this is great. They built it up. It's free. It's cheap, whatever. Stop getting your your newspaper subscription. And now like that backdoor.com thing where they closed down like that. It was some kind of kiddie porn advertising or something. 
that's that was in the news a lot because now they and they are using that as a launching off point to repeal or roll back elements of that law that distinguished public uh, internet responsibility from like the responsibility a publisher would have. Yeah, and. So. George Soros is funding lawyers all over the country in these midterm races so that he can put lawyers in these specific districts so that they can go and reinterpret the law when they get into office. So people who know how the law works can reinterpret it from the inside. So it, it's not about abolishing oh. the Second Amendment, for for example. Yeah, it's about reinterpreting the Second Amendment, like Lakoff said. Yeah, yeah. The Second Amendment doesn't give you the right to bear arms. The right to bear arms, according to Lakoff, is just an interpretation by Judge Scalia. So you need lawyers in there who can reinterpret it, and Soros is funding this all over the country. That really goes to something I thought of today when I heard on the radio that a judge – overturned like and it was actually a binding decision about um at the highest level i guess that trump his like repeal like his oh he he did an executive order if i recall this correctly to overturn the daca thing the dreamers executive order that obama did was it a bill of love yes is that what he called it Yes, a repeal of love. I think, yeah, I guess it was an executive order that Trump right. Yeah, I remember that. So, so the judge said that, that Trump's repeal of that or whatever, his trumping it with an executive order was arbitrary and capricious, which is like a weird expression to use. Arbitrary and capricious is when they, they dismiss a lawsuit for being unworthy of the court you know and and i just thought that's a it's strange to apply a standard like that to an executive order which is kind of by definition arbitrary and capricious because first of all it's totally unconstitutional it's not it's like the administrative law overall any law that originates from the executive branch is like a contradiction in terms it's the executive branch it's supposed to execute the laws the legislative branch legislates you know i mean it's it's self-evident you, you know you can get like one paragraph into the constitution and know that it's not okay so to so to then say that that there are rules governing this stuff you know what i mean like rules that obama's was okay because it met some like you know it goes back to that thing like why why is so you sent me this great little clip maybe you can put in the show notes of a man and a woman talking and the woman says what gives you the right to say something that might offend somebody and he uh, said jordan peterson is who that was okay and he said to her what gives you you're you're trying to offend me right now what gives you that right and like her her mind short-circuited to her credit she did not have a, a she thought about it yeah but the answer is because i'm right and you're wrong you know, we've been talking about this a lot lately. Like that's the answer from the left. Yeah. That's like I call BS. You know, you're right and I'm wrong. So the judge was saying, oh, but the reason Trump's executive order doesn't hold, but Obama's does hold is because Obama's was good. And Trump's is arbitrary and capricious that people who are illegal immigrants I, I don't care about the immigration issue. You must understand. I don't care. The entire world is being socially engineered. The, everything is just total engineering. I'm not stopping it. Whatever. <laughs> but it isn't arbitrary and capricious to say that people who 
are not citizens don't have the rights of citizens. There's a it's there's a valid reasoning there. You can yeah. say it's it's you can legislate it away. I I don't you know that's whatever. But but the reason he chose Obama's over Trump is because Obama's just plain right. You know that was it. And I thought I was thinking to myself like this. All of this is just upending all legal principles. You know, it's just it's just that same old thing of of restructuring the basic legal architecture of this country. Yeah, and it's demonization. If you can create that demon, which usually was kind of preserved for wartime propaganda, but if you can make everybody think that the opposition is just some evil demon, then it's easy to do that. It's easy to say, well, there is no – they're just wrong. Why would I want to take the perspective of the, the evil side? Yeah, I mean that was what I thought the theme of 2018 would be. Yeah. I'm sure inspired by your observations like that, which is are you a Democrat or are you evil? Exactly. That's what it's <laughs> been. I have that Jordan Peterson clip if you want to hear it. Yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, that'd be great. You got in trouble for refusing to call trans men and women by their preferred personal pronouns. No, I want to ask. it's not actually true. I got in trouble because I said I would not follow the compelled speech dictates of the federal and provincial government, I actually never got in trouble for not calling anyone anything. Right. That, that didn't happen. You wouldn't follow the change of law, which was designed not to outlaw discrimination. No, no. Why no well, that's your... what they said it was designed to do. Okay, uh, you cited freedom of speech in that. Why should your right to freedom of speech trump a trans person's right not to be offended? Because... In order to be able to think, you have to risk being offensive. I mean, look at the conversation we're having right now. You know, like you're certainly willing to risk offending me in the pursuit of truth. Why should you have the right to do that? It's been rather uncomfortable. Well, I'm, I'm very glad I put you on the spot. <laughs> well, I'm very glad that I've no, you get my point. Speech. You get my point. It's like you're, you're doing what you should do, which is digging a bit to see what the hell's going on. So and that you, is what you should do. But you're exercising your freedom of speech to certainly risk offending me. And that's fine. I think you, more power to you as far as I'm concerned. So you haven't sat there and... I'm just trying, I'm just trying to work that out. I mean... Ha, gotcha. You have got me. You have got me. I'm trying to work that through time. my head. Yeah, yeah. It took a while. It took a while. It did. It did. Yeah. It took a while. So she's she's old enough to still like have critical reasoning. You know what I mean? She's yeah. still of the old journalism school that that you, you can you have to think. You know, she, she never she considered could... another perspective until that moment. But it, she did. That, I mean, that was a good. His I think his point was was quite. He isolated the uh, one of the real problems with. I just discovered I mean, Jordan Peterson. By the way, he's a psychologist, so he approaches all this stuff from a, a psychology oh, perspective. So, I, so I'm totally into that stuff. I think I recommend listening to his stuff to, uh, to anybody. Uh, me, I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, so he, but but I mean, for me, I would say the reason you have a right to free speech and. Someone else doesn't doesn't have a right to not be offended is that you have a right to be offended, actually. Like, that's the right yeah. that you're exercising is to be offended and to, you know, I don't think he can. He's not allowed to go into your house and yell into your window, yeah. but he can do it on YouTube and you don't have to watch it. And uh, and that you should buy or beware on all of that stuff that actually the regulations, in my opinion, are set up. 
so that you do go to YouTube, because if they weren't set up, it's just like the porn and and all those censors over the years that allowed Hollywood to make inroads into every small town. You think those people didn't know the evils of the glowing, the flickering screen, now the glowing box? They knew exactly what the what the risk was there. Absolutely. Yeah, they've tested it. Yes. And they I mean, for like when it started almost 100 years ago, they knew. And and in order to get people to accept it, they had to be assured that someone was keeping it safe for them. And now and then you have this false sense of security It happens with food and drugs. It happens with truth and advertising. Advertising would have no value whatsoever if we weren't assured by our ben- ben- benefit. Benevolent, benevolent overlords that uh it was trustworthy it would have no power whatsoever and the same thing with facebook and youtube and whatever yeah, i, I with a great kids, point you have to turn it off because it's unscreened it's uncensored you have to turn it off and so what they do is they, they have a safety feature in youtube which maybe keeps the porn out but they have like uh, somebody watching clarence like the babiest show ever and just a stream of vulgarity and and as my daughter says mom they're taking the lord's name in vain and i'm thinking that guy just said the f word 10 times and you know my daughter doesn't even hear it she's like oh my god that has to go off oh my gosh is what she would say but um they do that indirect propaganda like you pointed out not too long ago with kids as well in those shows where they they assume facts that aren't true Yes. Oh, that's so powerful. That's what the Common Core is all about, in my opinion. They give you facts in an uncritical environment. That's what like, that what was big the question. You told me an example of a question. I don't know if I made the question up or if it was just I couldn't remember the exact one. What it, the idea was? Obama was the best president ever. Parse this se- sentence. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. my son. Would oh, say, okay. I see. Yeah, my <laughs> yeah. son would say. He he actually said to me he was studying for some tests, an entry test to go to this middle school. And, and he said, mom, I am learning so much just from the reading comprehension practice tests. I was like, Oh gosh, this is a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he was doing. So, but these people like with that woman, she couldn't, she is post, uh, you know, where they nowadays, just to get back to what we were talking about before nowadays, you, the answer is you're wrong. Yeah, that is the answer to critical thinking. Is you're wrong, and that's why this guy. Oh, but for, but for for me, just finish that other point. The that they have the right to be offended, to be not your ability to be offended or not not offended is entirely within your control, and it's something that you should also kind of try to get to the bottom of like, like all of it is truth and discourse and all of this is important, but for her, so I might've had a different re- response from this guy's, but his was really good. And, and she could, she, the answer in the future to those kind of questions. And I think you kind of see it in political debates and stuff. The answer to those questions is always going to be, you're just plain wrong. It's obvious. Yeah, it's like that guy I was telling you about earlier who I know, and this is why it's hard to distinguish between what's a troll and what's not anymore because they sound the same. But I know a guy who gets into these Facebook arguments all the time. I I know him personally. I don't get on the Facebook um, 
argument stuff because it's too maddening because it's a, it's a mob. Facebook is a mob mentality. There is no using reason on Facebook. There's only emotional. I can't believe people still use it. Knee jerk reactions. For? It's for reinforcing your beliefs and yeah. talking and screaming at people who have yeah. alternative ideas. People were so mean to me while Trump was running. And you can't find lost dogs on it using Facebook. So that is a good feature of it. I've used it for that before, which yep. works. So that's a good yeah. good way to use it. But it's that built in moral justification, which Lakoff is the premise of Lakoff's book, really. It's the moral justification of progressives and the conservative ideology is immoral. That's the whole basic premise of his book. But um, this guy, every response he has to anybody who posts something that does not jive with what he believes starts with this. You elected a traitor. <laughs> and it doesn't even matter if the person – a lot of the people he says this to don't like Trump. But just because they reacted to something that he posted – by asking a question or something, he starts the argument off with that moral justification that anybody who disagrees with him is supporting evil. So I yeah. told my friend, there is yeah. no talking to this person. So there's no having right. a discussion with someone who reacts like this right off the bat. I get that. I get that kind of thing. It's, it, But it, it happens on both sides. Like it happens on the Trump thing too. I cannot tell yeah. you how frustrating it is for me. Because I, I just criticize everything that needs to be criticized. That's yeah. my job. I'm sorry I'm not – that's I, what I do. I mean, tough job. I'm sorry I'm not, I'm not more cheerful and I'm not an artist. You know what I mean? I just I, – I like just see through propaganda and I'm going to tell you about it. That's what well, I you're do. You're an artist. <laughs> I, I create. Yes, I do create entertainment. I actually do consider it – if it's not entertainment, then – I mean, I don't think that I'm changing the world anyway. Uh, look, so it is an art what you do. Totally an art to be able to precisely ask the right questions. That's as much of an art as anything. Well, thank you. But it does trigger people to the point on the, you know, on the right. You know what I'm saying? Like it triggers people yeah. on the right who are mad at me for using that ability that I have. You know, they were totally fine with the exact same reasoning when I used it against Obama. The exact you know, exact same thing. And then when you say against Trump, it's like, oh, this one guy who's like, you don't understand. He's just faking you out. He's just doing this. And then he's going to come and save the day later. He's just, you have to think of him as a commando with a knife in his teeth crawling through the grass. Did you see that one? No. That's how I'm supposed to see stealthy Trump fooling me with his bad decisions, you know? That might be true in some form or another for some politician somewhere some someday. But Maybe, if you but... make that argument for Trump, then yeah. someone can of also course. make that argument for Obama. Yes, and, and there's absolutely no way that's what he's doing with Syria because his foreign policy has been the same for decades. Like – He's not. There's not no mystery. <laughs> yeah, no mystery. At I don't all. disagree that someone who changes the system is going to have to be stealthy about it. When was the last time somebody actually succeeded at that? I, I don't know. I'm not saying that somebody has. I'm just saying I don't disagree that someone's going to have to do it that way because someone who presents himself as, as a clear opposition gets smushed pretty quickly. But yes. also, it's more important, I think, to question the politicians that we identify with on an emotional level because if we don't, then we're going to get bamboozled. And if we do question it and we continue to question it, then 
a lot of the things that they do, stealthy or not, are ultimately gonna they're gonna stand up to scrutiny in the end. So I, I, there's no harm in questioning it, even if you no, do believe that. Yeah, it's slow, and and that does slow them down. But I personally believe that this the surveillance, the total surveillance state, is the primary goal. You know, the primary goal of of eliminating the Fourth Amendment is to make sure that if there is any of that stealthy activity getting any kind of traction or gaining critical mass that it's taken out whether yeah you know however they take it out they could take your youtube page down they can crash you into a tree and you know light your car on fire you know you know what i'm saying like i i think that that eliminating you know we've been channeled into the digital world like we're not even real anymore so it's crazy somebody sent me a letter thank you i'll have to look at it i haven't had a chance to really look at it sent me a letter to wsb about a third party that has no political ideology it's actually quite a clever idea and you can just run it's a third party that always gets ballot space and you can just kind of run in a primary and you know it like doesn't have any power or ideology so you can't own it nobody's gonna hijack it i don't know i have to look into it further but he sent me a letter like i get letters sometimes you know, but I don't, I wouldn't even know how to, I mean, what do you do? How could you possibly fight the system like that? I can't, I can't imagine how we could do it. But I have a question for you about something you just said. Okay. You yeah. said Lakoff's book, The Moral Premise, is, you know, it's the difference between, or the, the, the premise is that it's a moral question. Does does he offer a moral ideology? Is there is there a way that we can tell right from wrong in his system without him actually telling us issue by issue? No, he tells them issue by issue how to connect progressive legislation with morality. So he here's here's why this piece of why gun control or why immigration every single issue he lays out this is why it's moral to be a progressive and then he even says this is how you respond to conservatives and he lays out how he frames conservatives to them he says this is how you understand conservatives and what he presents is basically someone who has been misguided into believing an immoral system yeah i definitely hear that i hear that i definitely hear that what he's doing is systematically demonizing uh, the other. He leaves, but, he leaves no room o- open for interpretation of the reader, if that's what you're asking. No, I, I'm asking if he ever gives an ideological touchstone such as what's better, what makes 51% of the people richer is the is the driving force. You know, what is it that we can analyze an issue against that will help us understand if it's moral or not. What is his moral framework or tenet touchstone? He doesn't do anything. Like, I've never heard him do it. I just, I'm, I, that's what no. I'm saying. Like, I just, I just want a moral framework. Is it, is it Plato where it's like, what's good for society is the thing that you have to do. Even if individuals get killed along the way, this is what you have to do. And here are some ways you can do it. That's Plato. Aristotle says, I think, you know, it's got to be at the individual level because it's the individual who makes the decision. So if the individual just refrains from killing and stealing, then uh, the moral outcome will emerge because that is the basic moral tenet of society. You know what I mean? It's the difference between centrally 
figuring it out and having to contain human nature because natural instincts won't result in a good outcome. But still, Plato is basically saying the most good for the most people. But I don't even hear Lakoff saying that. He does allude to that, but not. I mean, he's so focused on being a progressive and how the government is very anti, very anti. Yes. And that is the that is where we've come to. He does talk about doing the most good for the most people, but he doesn't ever. But he he does it in a way where it's like, let's save the babies. They want to kill the babies. It's that type of stuff. It's just propaganda. Yeah. And it's obviously working on people in that way because you have. People who make no sense. And, you know, it's funny on the show this week when we were talking about the Starbucks bathroom thing and like person after person called to say, you know, we just shouldn't call the cops. And it's like, but you would call and tell me, see something, say something, you know, like what, you know, they're just clearly regurgitating what he's saying. There's no need for a touchstone or critical analysis. Yeah. And people wanted not everybody, but. A lot of people wanted so badly for that to be a racial issue. Like they desired for that to be. They need it to be. And if it's not, they'll say, well, it could have been. Exactly. The reaction of people being so ready to accept that propaganda message uncritically. It, and in it was, Starbucks of all places. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, I get that there has always been racism. I think racism at, at one point in our history, it, it wasn't an ism. It was just the fact that people who lived in geographic areas had different cultures and colors and sizes and languages, something like that, which I think um, is exploited on the one hand, um, but also attacked on the other. So the 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 residual kind of lizard brain primitive elements of it are exploited. Superficial part of it is yeah. exploited. It's but so the, disempowering too. It really is. Yeah, it makes you yeah feel like you have no control. You can't you can't bust out of it, and no one else can. Yeah, but the, if, but the if good that's part, all you learn to think of, if you learn to yeah. think in terms of race first, everything else second, then you're going to be bottled in to whatever parameters whoever delivers that message to you creates. It would be nice. Like I thought, the goal of all of this over the years was to kind of get to a post-racial society so that you wouldn't look at each other and and have to put everything in those terms but the the what's happening now it's just it it puts those in those terms and what the sad part is is that the actual you know how do you maintain let's say multiculturalism is their real goal and i personally like the saddest thing to me about globalization, about the world corporation that's just blanketing the earth. When I, I read one of these um, books by L. Fletcher Prouty, who it was supposedly deep throat, he's kind of a controversial figure, but um, it was just so clear to me, or I, I, it occurred to me anyway, that like Vietnam and Korea and all that were, were fought particularly like Vietnam with Laos and Cambodia, Thailand, stuff like that, were fought to eradicate culture. So that like Rhodes, Cecil Rhodes, I think articulated it way back when he wanted the entire earth to be like the British empire on an underground basis, speaking English and having British style social democracy. And then you can also like take it one step further and say the whole thing is just going to be this materialistic consumerist society. It's sick, but it looks like that's where we're headed. So I have to assume that, you know, it's clearly not an accident. So, 
so so they're eradicating culture. And it's like when my dad came back from World War II, he told my mom, who was his sweetheart, and then he married her, like how much he wanted to go back to this little Pacific island that he discovered. And who knows, they might have given them all syphilis. I don't know. But he said he was on his ship, a destroyer escort, a docks, you know, kind of away from the ship. Um, then uh, he... The islanders paddled in their canoes up to the boat to take people for shore leave. And he said the chicks had no shirts on and stuff. And it was like crazy, but it was the most beautiful isolated place. It was this gorgeous Pacific Island called Panape. And when, um, so decades later, my father came home from church. My mother had the Sunday travel section out. And she said, George, George, you can go to Panape. And, uh, and it was, you know, all these resorts on the shore in Panape. And he said, yeah, uh, never mind, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so this whole, so this the cultural destruction is very sad to me. And if you, part of this whole, like, uh, upend all the populations of the world so that, you know, we think it's us. It's not just us. Like, uh, uh, Africa, talk to African people who, you know, like a, a great way to like get in touch with people from other countries and like just ask them seriously about what it's like is in Ubers. I love it. Uh, yeah. Even better than taxis because it's more diverse. So ask Africans if there isn't an unbelievable amount of Chinese immigration into Africa. And uh, it pulls, you know, pulls people away and then it adds new people. And, and the idea is to have, uh, you know, all this centralized is to have dependence go up to the top. And, and mostly it's just production, consumerism, all that stuff, I think. But when you, what's happening is we are, we are kind of, uh, assimilating, you know, like I, I look at Starbucks as like hipsters paradise. I see people. I see hipster first. I do not see race when I go into Starbucks. I do not think I'm white like some of these white people and those guys are black. I think I'm old. <laughs> you know? Those people are young, you know, and uh, and they're all wearing the same jeans with holes in their knees and stuff. And I'm just not doing that. And I'm definitely not paying six dollars for coffee. So I don't go there. I don't belong there. That's interesting because that is kind of the dynamic of people that work there. But the people that work there, it's very racially diverse. And in almost all Starbucks, it really is, at least all of the ones that I've been to. And I've been to quite a bit of them in a lot of different parts of, of Georgia and the country. They're pretty consistent. And the people who go in there, it, it's a racially diverse group of people who are entrepreneurs, who, who have kind of a, that entrepreneurial spirit yeah, yeah. and are very open-minded. I've had a lot of fantastic conversations with people that just have really open minds and are very creative business people and students at Starbucks, what was described that happened there is not something that you typically see in this place. My point is you're right. It's not a race thing, when, especially with oh, Starbucks. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wonder if they target communities, um, if it's meant to actually destroy the minority communities. So, like, let's take Black America. Not not new African immigrants, but the existing black culture in America, I would say is the in my experience as a radio host in Atlanta over the years um, that you have a culture there that is rightly so a lot more skeptical 
you know, or the older people, like like the young hipster type I, who are getting brainwashed by the schools, I don't know, but the older people used to call me, they, they're skeptical of, of the lies that come out of the government, the media, because they're used to uh, being victimized by the people, you know, the more powerful element of society, which we know controls this stuff. Or like, I don't know. I don't want to get get into it, but I feel like it's it, it it's really a dialectic in every sense of the word, and 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 every time I look at whatever the presenting issue is, gets sucked into that conversation. It pisses me off because I know there are layers and layers and layers of this onion, and there is no way that I can peel any of those layers and still not play into their dialectic. Yeah. It just drives me crazy. I'm beginning to think that I've really gotten to this point that with this like censorship thing coming down and the surveillance and our, and uh, the digitization of the self, I feel like that the, the highly controlled society that Brzezinski talked about or Algis Huxley or George Orwell, you know, these, I feel like, uh, I mean, when you look at them coming down on, on thought, I mean, once the thought is totally under control, like what, what's the hope, but, but permanent universal enslavement. It's very inspiring. Sorry. See, that was your punishment for dragging me down that road. <laughs> so that brings us back to tech. So let me read my article to you. <laughs> Right, that's too for depressing huh? sorry that was really that was terribly depressing i'm not i don't mean to incite anything but you know what i'm saying like what is the hope respond rebut talk me down i think there's a lot of hope i think that the hope comes in the form of questioning of what we're doing of that individual response this is why i lean towards libertarian the idea of being empowered to do stuff individually and take personal responsibility. And I think that that mentality is the defense. The defense comes in asking questions and being critically aware and learning to recognize our own psychological bias and learning to emotionally regulate. If we do that and if we can see through the barriers that are created through propaganda, then we're not going to be held back. The individual in and of himself or herself can overcome these things by taking power to do that on their own or and with the people that they know. You know, I thought about like the only hope being, yes, the the individual seen through it. But then I thought about my very cursory understanding of the American Revolution, which word has it that only a third of the people were in favor of secession from England. Yeah, some of them didn't care. They saw it yeah, as the, one, one elite and another elite. Which they, which ultimately proved correct, and that even if the original revolution that yielded the Articles of Confederation was legit, it was very quickly replaced by the Constitution, and and then we see with the Whiskey Rebellion, all that it just was, or and then Alexander Hamilton with the bank, and I mean clearly it was, I don't know, I, I'm not going to say clearly it was an experiment, but in retrospect it appears to have had an ulterior motive or it's just that revolutions were always hijacked, France, Russia, America, whatever. But uh, so so that, so that when I thought, if, if it is to be believed that only a third of the people were in favor of it and they had to fight the fights and rally the troops and all that kind of stuff, you know, that's all you're getting. 
And if we still have that, you know, that's the best we're going to do. And, and just depending on, so I say, I look at that and say, critical thought, let's assume that the correct answer was revolution, which it might not have been because you look at Australia and Canada and all the places that just went along for the ride with, with the Commonwealth, their laws are like exactly the same. So it doesn't seem to matter. seems like they're the same, except for the guns for now. But uh, this brings us back to what we started off a long time ago with this episode and that's the regulation of tech and fake news and taking control of the information that we get because part of this whole push to regulate the internet includes curriculum that is being created to teach people, quote unquote, critical analysis of the news. How to spot fake news. But it's the opposite. Exactly. Yeah, that is the funny part is that you're really not, like that guy said, we're not allowed to have an honest conversation. So we're never going to get to the answer. And it's all because critical thinking is being stamped out. That's what I was saying about that interviewer, that woman. She was still capable of, of critical thinking. The next generation, that is being systematically stamped out. It is in some, but it always comes back around. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just worried about, about the digitization. You know, I think Marx was the one who said, like, Factories take people off the land and then they have no connection to the actual actual sustenance. Like I, I don't I don't remember. But like I think it, it, it's a I'm sure there's a reason for it. Um I'm sure there's a word for it. But like factories are too far removed from the life force, the 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 production. Yeah, can't live but, off the land anymore. Yeah, and that and that that was like psychologically bad, or is like a way to be exploited. But now, the technological revolution, as opposed to the industrial revolution, it it adds to production and everything, just like the industrial revolution did. But it might have a different purpose, and they might both really have had the same purpose, which is to corral the slaves in a way they don't even know that they're being enslaved and corralled because it's like, quote, voluntary. You just all the forces that drive you towards it are beyond your control, but you don't recognize that. So you just pushed forward and forward into that thing. And then by doing that, you are disconnected from any kind of more, you know, kind of hard assets, more of the way that you could actually be self-sufficient, that you could actually mount a resistance. Like, so we used to be able to grow food, right? That had to stop. You know, you got to get people off the land. That's why I like Patrick Henry. He was against that. He was like, people need to get connected to the land or they will not stay free. He said that. Something like that. I think that's a great quote. <laughs> I think I just made it up, but that was his idea. So so now I'm just saying, so you take them off the land and put them in factories and guys are working factories, no how stuff works, you know, they know that it's pretty hot to melt steel. You know, you don't want people seeing that. So, so then when you get digitized, you know, when you have an Uber driverless car, you can't do anything. And you can't even think about how you would do things. I mean, that's, and I feel like that's when you see these sci-fi movies 
that always have the filthy underground from the matrix to demolition man. There's just always this filthy, disgusting sewer dwelling underground that has nothing and no resources. They occasionally hijack some, you know, tunnel, (laughs) tunnel moving machine or whatever. But how do you really fight that system? You know, I don't, I don't know. You know, like I just, it's just hard for me to think about how you can do it, which is why one of the Habitat One UN things stated expressly in the beginning that you can have personal property, but you can't have real property. Nobody should own land. Yeah, own digital land. That was a big part yeah. of the Facebook thing is you own your data. What does that even mean, you own your data? No, there it doesn't. That's why – see, it all folds back to like that intellectual property thing. I knew there was something wrong with the idea that the government should protect ideas of yours that you release out into the world. You know, how do they do that exactly? Yeah. They get inside other people's brains and they have them not – you know, sometimes you have the same idea. Yeah, and you're not allowed to have that idea. It's against the law <laughs> for you to use the idea you just had because somebody else had it first. Yeah. That can't be right. It is weird. It doesn't make any sense. No. And and now it's being exploited to be like, well, it's an extension of yourself. So then you have rights out there. That was a major theme of that whole congressional testimony with Zuckerberg is who owns people's private personal data. Yeah, let's just make a rule right now. If you put it on Facebook, we own it. So don't. Zuckerberg was saying – the opposite. The user owns it. And of the, course, the Congress people, the wanted, they're saying we want protections for their data. But what does that even mean? He wants the opposite because he wants to have the responsibility to protect that for this reason. And now I'm going to read you my article. All right. Okay. All right. So I, I really I want to read the beginning of the article because it's so like cloying, I would like to say. It's like it's meant to evoke emotions or whatever. Okay. When the European Union's justice commissioner traveled to California to meet with Google and Facebook last fall, she was expecting to get an earful from executives worried about the continent's sweeping new privacy law. That's what she expected. Okay. She was just like, I'm going to ass whip these guys. Instead, she realized they already had the situation under control. Whoa. They were more relaxed, and I became more nervous, said the EU official, Vera Jourova. They have the money, an army of lawyers, an army of technicians, and so on. So this woman inadvertently played into their hands. She had no idea that this tech law that she came up with, would that they would be able to exploit it. You know, I, I think that they wrote it for her. Anyway. Brussels wants its new General Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, to stop tech giants and their partners from pressuring consumers to relinquish control of their data in exchange for services. Why? Why? Exchange data for services and don't give your data. Forget it. And then we would not have, if people resisted, then we would not have the digitization of the self. Then we would have alternatives, but they don't want that. Okay, the EU would like to set an example for legislation around the world. Of course they would. But some of the restrictions are having an unintended consequence, reinforcing the duopoly of Facebook and Alphabet's Google. 
On May 25th, the EU will begin enforcing the new rules, which in many cases require companies to obtain affirmative consent to use European residents' personal information. I just today got a request from Twitter if I want to opt out of their information sharing uh, on my settings just today, which I did. They put up a thing and I did it. But the, the default was to opt in, right? Yes. Yeah, that was another theme of the congressional testimony right there. That's probably where that came from. Yeah. The change has sent shutters through the digital advertising sector from online publishers to the analytics firms, data brokers, and buying platforms that use personal data to aim ads at individuals in real time. And that is what this thing was about from Twitter this morning was that it was about ads. Your ads will not be tailored to you if you opt out of our data sharing. And I was like, I don't really care because I never buy that stuff. So, uh, It goes on to say, Google and Facebook, however, are leveraging their vast scale and sophistication as they seek consent from the hundreds of millions of European users who visit their services each day. They are applying a relatively strict interpretation of the new law, competitors say, setting an industry standard that is hard for smaller firms to meet. And that is the very definition of regulatory barriers to entry it's what i've been saying for ever <laughs> and it's not unintended please i could strangle this article it's not unintended yeah facebook is a digital nation that's worldwide it's a digital world so they're trying to implement these cross border policies that can give them this far-reaching power that is quote-unquote unintended consequences well and i i would like to go back and say it's not only it's not like just this is unintended consequences i'm making it sound like these are two companies that have this girl in their pocket woman hashtag me too so it's that it's that google and facebook sergey brin right he did google And Mark Zuckerberg did Facebook. So I just, I could not figure Zuckerberg out. He's 32. He's sitting there in Congress. He's a robot or a lizard or whatever. Like there's something weird about him. He is such a, he's such a created person. He's such an important, iconic um, uh, messenger. You know, he is, oh, 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 oh. (laughs) I think I said this last time. I'm saying it again. I was saying he's a Pied Piper to get all the kids to follow him down this road of surveillance and censorship. And I know I made this point before, but I'm like just so amazed that this all came together in my head um, because it's obviously what they were doing uh, that I, that I came to it this way. The Silicon Valley show that has the main character uh, is like the, uh, uh, a fictionalized version of Zuckerberg, his company in that show for no reason at all. is called Pied Piper. Yeah. You know, and they commented at one point, like, why'd you name it that? It's like so creepy that the, you know, that's the guy kidnaps all the kids. So I'm looking at this guy and, and I just, I just don't get it. Like I just, it, 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 there's something about him that is too ideally suited for this role, which is true for a lot of these big tech guys, a lot of them, that they're really there as, as the, as the messengers, as the, human interface with this digitized uh you know new realm of existence peter Thiel is one of those guys there's just a lot of them pierre omajar 
every one of them has a monopoly in like this one kind of digital space. And of all things, digital stuff is like there's zero cost to entry. There's like no barriers to entry. It is so easy if you're like an out of work guy living in your mom's basement to code. You know, you can figure this stuff out and compete, yet it doesn't seem to work. So I dug into Zuckerberg. And I, and I was trying to find information. I found information on his dad and his mom. There's like no information, but she was a psychiatrist who said, importantly, interestingly, that she gave up her practice and stayed home with her kids because she saw a lot of people come through and sit on her couch and she didn't want her kids to be one of them. So it's pretty un PC for her to suggest that a mother is important in the psychological health of her children. I'm sure she won't be saying that again anytime soon, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but I couldn't find anything about her background. I could not, I can't find it. I cannot find it. So I don't know what her backstory is. I don't know who she knew, but in, in, I just pulled on one little thread and I found a little bit of, a bit of information about Zuckerberg having been tapped at the age of 12, uh, as did Sergey Brin and Zuckerberg's little friend, Adam D'Angelo, uh, who runs Cora as also Lady Gaga. They were all tapped at a young age. And this is kind of what I was looking for because Zuckerberg transferred to Exeter, the most prestigious elite high school in the country. He transferred as a junior, which is, has to be very difficult to do because you get all the benefits and they haven't educated you. So they're putting their, their label on you without having already well, having shaped you, which is like not what they do. So Exeter kids start when they're really young. Is that what you're saying? No, it's, it's a prep school. I believe it's just a high school, but you go for four years. You okay. don't go for two years Yeah, and then get a free pass to Harvard. So I was just digging in this guy. Zuckerberg was a classics major. He was a psych major. He had like spoke four languages, which is like a memorization thing. Like the CIA looks for that kind of thing. History, classics, stuff like that is like what they look for because they know you have a high capacity to memorize stuff and they want you to be able to memorize stuff. So, uh, and this, this thing, this John Hopkins Center for Talented Youth, it used to have a different name. It was designed to be, and I think still is, not a way to identify and develop talented students. That wasn't the primary goal. The primary goal was uh, as a psychological experiment or observation um, opportunity. So they were, they, I think at first they, they found kids who got in the top 1% of the SAT, I guess the math section of the SAT, as 12-year-olds. So, you know, that's like 10 people in the world, right? Or 10 people in the country. It's a tiny group. I don't know what, how they changed the standard for that, but that's what we're talking about here. Like uber gifted individuals, like absolutely beyond anything in the realm of normalcy. And they take them and they put them in this program. He was in it for four years, 96 to 99. And at the end of it, he and this Adam D'Angelo went to Exeter. And, uh, and, and at that point, he's, positioned as a computer guy, which I'm sure he learned the stuff about the computers. But and then he says, we we invented this thing. It's basically Spotify, but or Pandora or whatever. But we felt like, you know, people offered us millions. We, we you know, I did it before breakfast one day and I just felt like your musical taste should not be like exploited. Oh, my gosh, that Pied Piper is a music was a music thing on Silicon yeah. Valley. So anyway, so he's saying like they turned down that money and then he goes to Harvard and he, you know, basically craps Facebook out one day and 
didn't even look at it. So I came home later and, and, uh, then he drops out and the thing like takes all, he's like, Oh, overnight it had like 120,000 subscribers. And then the next day it was like, I rolled it out to other schools and had 20,000 in every school. I mean, it's, it's very hard for me to believe that, that story. And, and, and coupled with, with this, you know, his being, a part of this small group, I feel like he was tapped at that point. You know, I think they tap people very young. I, I've suggested to you, I think, I wonder about Comey. He he had that experience when he was yeah. a teenager where he falsely accused somebody of a crime and he like went to the mat swearing this guy did it and he definitely did not do it. And maybe they were like, wow, I haven't seen a liar like this. But they do this. And then I look at, and I think that they they do this. So Sarah Gay Brin was also uh, in this program. So so funny enough, Google and Facebook, who now run the world, happen to be run by these little phenoms who were tapped at the age of 12 for this like uh, a little bit elusive program. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it it's funny. And then I feel like there's, people i feel like this is just like politics many are called and a few are chosen so you have a lot of uh you know politicians who who answer the call like um i always think of kwame kwame kirkpatrick i don't know like the detroit mayor he was really headed places and then somebody used him for bad purposes or he was bad i don't know and it didn't work, but there's somebody else out there is going to take his place. You know, like Trump, you know, he comes from a super deep state family. Is he the only guy who was, who was put into a role? Who knows? Like if Mark Cuban was, you know, also vying for this level of a position. And then I think of, of Kalanick who did Uber, which was really meant to, to introduce driverless technology through government subsidies, really. And, uh, and I think he failed the test because they were, they, they told him to surveil, like he needed to give their, give them access to all the information of everybody at, at all times and in all places. And he, and he didn't do it. And then he was done, done. Then, you know, he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't, he wouldn't step down. They were pressuring him. They were slandering him in the news. And he was like, I'm worth $40 billion. I, I'm not stepping down. You can't hurt me now. You might have put me here or let me get to this point, but I'm not stepping down. He fought tooth and nail, and then one day, you know, his parents were in a horrible accident. His mother died, and then he stepped down. So I don't know where, you know, I don't know what it takes. And Peter Thiel, who's deeply, deeply involved in the CIA uh, investment company, uh, he's the guy who, I believe he's the guy who grubstaked Facebook, if I'm not mistaken. He did what? Grubstaked him, like put him, gave him the the money to you know, his first round. Oh yeah, he is. And his previous company was funded by the CIA venture capitalist firm. His current company is Palantir. Yeah. Palantir. Yeah. But Palantir was was funded the year before Facebook. Oh, who knows where that money was specifically allocated? Well, and when you read these articles about Palantir, which are coming out now, and they talk about like what a lucky break it was for Peter Thiel to get the CIA contract in Afghanistan or some mumbo jumbo like that. It's like, how lucky? Why would that be luck? 
when they were invested in it. You know, like, why would you leave that little tidbit out of the story? Yeah. It's not luck. It's how you <laughs> yeah, pick winners. You know what I mean? Right. It's how you establish monopolies is by giving them the money and then giving them the business and telling people it's private so that when they surveil you, you have no First Amendment rights or Fourth Amendment rights. Like, sorry, it's a private company, but it's a monopoly funded by the CIA. Private. It's like, no, it's not. And that's where we're like the black and white letter of the public private distinction becomes blurred. Anyway, I got to breathe. You got to take a breath. (sighs) What kind of regulations you think are going to be coming down for social media and Internet? Well, it doesn't have to be regulations. So when I read this article about the EU, they jump the gun and put regulations. And these guys are. are adhering to them and they and and the European Union says they want the rest of the world to follow suit and Google and Facebook will say oh we're going to voluntarily do it and then once that happens it's it's the same thing it's what we we're talking about before with the censorship and the content and um possibly being liable for harm and that backdoor.com thing where you know it has kitty porn advertisements or whatever as soon as you don't need regulations you can just use tort law so you can just go in and say, well, Facebook has 40,000 sensors and it is safe. So if you want to enter this space, you you can either censor it as safely as Facebook, which is a, a viable business model, or you can be responsible uh, without these precautions for any damage that comes out of your lack of um, stewardship. So if they're like, yeah, we're going to take our chances because what's the likelihood? I mean – you know, we can eyeball it or whatever. We have this cheap algorithm and we don't have to censor people. We can just flag like the one in a million that looks weird. And then there'll be an elaborate event that happens to cripple that startup with with yeah. lawsuits. Like like Posner is starting against Alex Jones for the for putting up the Sandy Hook picture. He's forging the way by suing Jones and Jones is going to do everything wrong. Because that's what he's there for, is to do everything wrong so that we all feel that we need regulations or we set a precedent in court that's interpreted or they change that law. You know what I mean? That whole scenario. I agree that they're trying to set a precedent case. However they do it, I don't know. But and I never try to figure out what policies are going to look like or what the nuances are because I know what the big picture is. And the big picture is to make sure that nobody thinks about this stuff and that we don't have alternatives. and. Um, you know, what's scary is what's the next step? You know, why do they need this level of control? What, what, what have we been doing that isn't good enough for them? They have a plan. They're not just, it's, they're not just putting all this stuff in place and then saying, I'm sure it'll work out to our benefit in the end. They're looking at something that they're looking at, you know, they're looking at total control. Well, Facebook has an initiative that was announced a few years ago. I can't remember the name of it, but the goal of it was to get the entire world connected by I don't know like twenty twenty five or something like that. Some sometime that's not too and far. And then off. what? And then what? Assuming well, they're working for the NSA or the Queen of England or whatever, what happens then? What is that for? Well, I don't know what happens then, but what you have if that occurs is is you have the borderless world that they've always desired. Right. You have the world citizen, but it's digital. Right. And if the same thing happens with Uber, which is actual transportation, you know, but what do they want? You know, they want their kids to to be the overlord. They don't, I don't know if they care about their kids, but the goal is like this overlordship. But in order to get it, 
you have to reduce the population to something that wouldn't even give you any pride to dominate. Yeah, who knows? I mean, who's on a power trip that could be satisfied by running a sheep farm? A very insecure sheeper. <laughs> you know, I guess there you could start thinking then about the whole singularity thing where there are people who will have access to this transcendent technology and then there'll be the carriers of water. But what do you need the carriers of water for? You have actual robots. I mean, do they need cyborgs you know like what i'm sure they're going to be merging humans with technology they're going to be testing that's one thing that people are going to be used but are there two kinds of people then you know because isn't that what they say like there's two kinds of people in the end what two kinds of people i guess it would be platonic platonic which is what what this seems like if there's a moral underpinning that's what it would be where there's the ruler class that can upload their brains into, you know, a computer or whatever. Yeah. And then there's the subordinate class, like the slave class, but, or everybody's just superior. Like, I just, I don't get the vision. I don't get the vision. I don't, maybe I'm sure somebody knows it. Maybe somebody can comment. Uh, okay. Uh, I got to go. I hope I wasn't too ranty. <laughs> no, it was very interesting. The Zuckerberg thing, like once I started looking into it and then there's funny things like he's the one clip you sent me where he was he was doing a live q a yeah he's like just looks over it's like you know the, some of these are so stupid like uh am i a lizard no and i'm <laughs> sure my kid i was like he doesn't even get the joke i know he got mad <laughs> about it like, you, you could tell he was offended by that question but he doesn't even get the joke he should be even more offended yeah you yeah. know what i mean he's like a shape-shifting lizard person he answered that question like somebody who's guilty of being a shape-shifting lizard yeah. is how he No, I'm not a lizard. No, he answered the question like someone who's guilty of being a robot. <laughs> What's the line in Westworld? Doesn't look like anything to me. That's oh, the yes. cognitive dissonance. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. We have to put that as a drop on my voice of God. On okay, yeah, that's a good idea. Please, please, please. Every time that guy... Who I was yeah, telling yeah. you about posts yeah. that stuff on Facebook, and my friend tries to argue with him with evidence. I'm like, dude, when he sees evidence, he says, "Doesn't look like anything to me." Yeah, that's straight out of Westworld, and uh, I think I'm not gonna be able to watch that. I, I really have a moral problem with watching things that are so violent and depict human beings as being like just inherently viciously violent underneath the surface. That it's a a, a, a very thin veneer. There might be a thin veneer, but I think it's, you know, the worst of people come out when they're hungry, not like, boy, if I didn't have to live, if I didn't have to wear the suit, I'd rape that chick right now. Like, I just don't think that's <laughs> what's happening. But that is how that show depicts human beings. I think I told you before we started recording that we've talked about the rise of sex robots for quite some time now. And I think it's finally become mainstream because there was a report this morning of Katie Couric on a date with one. So I think it's officially arrived (laughs) on that uplifting note. uh, Thank you very much for your time. And I talk to you Saturday on WSB. See you later.